All right. Good morning, everybody. Mike Courtney here, Mass Mutual Eastern PA. Beautiful, somewhat springish Wednesday morning. Joined by my good friend and counterpart, Steve Parisi. Steve, how are you today? Fantastic, my friend. How are you feeling? Good, good. Good to see you. All right. Talking about the game today. We're not talking <laughs> about the football game. We're not talking about March Madness. We're talking about the life insurance game. The life insurance um, game. You know, one of the things that's always interested me when I'm talking to brokers and talking to clients is um, trying to talk them through uh, different kinds of illustrations and enforce illustrations. And, um, you know, what struck me when I first started working with Mass, one of my mentors in the business, we were reviewing a policy illustration for a potential sale and we were in competition with another company and we were looking at that other company's illustration. And he said, well, you know, I mean, the illustrations, are, they're all make-believe. Yeah, It's all just, you know, potential lies. Um, I, you know, he, his thing was like, pick the, you know, who do you, who's make-believe do you believe the most, you know? And for us, that was always our, you know, how we were trying to promote the strength of mass mutual. And, you know, you'd rather, uh, rely on a company like Mass Mutual that's a mutual company as opposed to a, a stock company that's beholden to its its stockholders, not its policy owners. But, you know, conceptually, I get in a lot of conversations with clients where we talk about that concept and then it throws them off because they think they're looking at something that's a realistic projection. And it sounds like I'm telling them that, you know, this is just gobbledygook that we put down on a piece of paper. You know, so do you find yourself having to manage that with your clients and expectations? Um, yeah, quite a bit. And often that's something that I do like to bring up before any type of engagement occurs. So we we discuss that a lot on our marketing. And exactly what I'll say is with respect to a whole life insurance policy, if it's with a top company, specifically one of the four major mutuals, if the policy is properly designed to set expectations properly, I would expect that internal rate of return to fall somewhere between 3 and 5%. That's based on actual policies I've seen over time. And that is over the life of the policy, 3 to 5%. I'll emphasize the point that the first year, we are negative. So that 3 to 5, you'll see occur over time. But in the early years, we're negative. If I pay in 100 grand, I might have 85 to $90,000 in cash value. Um, so I've got that hit initially. But the illustration might illustrate you know, a 6% IRR, not today, but let's say that happens. If it does, I'm still going to say 3 to 5% because that's what I've seen over time. If I rewind the clock before I was born and policies issued in the 70s or 80s, I have seen some at a 6% internal rate of return. So a little bit stronger than that, than that 3 to 5. But we're still in a a low interest rate environment, a low dividend rate environment, just when we look at history, the past 30 to 40 years. So that 3 to 5% is a conservative expectation that I'd be comfortable taking out a policy for myself, expecting that to occur over time. And that's a big reason why I state that uh, with everything that I've seen on the corporate and individual level. Um, so that's my long-winded answer to your question when setting expectations as far as what I can expect if I'm a consumer, very focused on the cash value and what I think it's going to, what I'm expecting it to grow by over time. Do you illustrate dividends at a reduced amount at all? 
Um, yeah, sometimes. What I'll what I'll usually do is show the dividend rate and then also the guaranteed rate. So I'm a big okay. fan of that. That's a worst worst case scenario. There are times I will. Show, I like that better though, actually, yeah. than just arbitrarily picking a you know 50 basis point drop in the dividend. You're still making this arbitrary assumption and Correct. applying it, you know, across the whole policy. Co- correct. Yeah. And, and the guarantees, why I like to show that is because it's one, a worst case scenario. If you show the guaranteed values, not only does it illustrate no dividends, it's always also going to assume the maximum charge is assessed to any riders and fees you have associated with that product. So it's a worst, worst case scenario. But how I look at it is if I'm taking out a policy and I'm I'm looking at the guaranteed values and I'm okay with them, um, and it's okay, this is the worst case scenario. It's always done better than this, right? If it's designed properly, all that good stuff we talk about. But the guarantees don't give me that sense of, whoa, there's no way I can live with it if it does that. If it does, like then I'm going to look into it further and maybe not do it, right? So I, I really want to examine it. But yeah, how I make decisions, look at the worst case. And if I'm, if I'm not killed by that, if it doesn't kill the deal for me, then hey, let's, let's look at moving forward. I always find it interesting the the difference in sometimes the type of conversation you're having with enforced clients as opposed to upfront. Yeah. Uh very different. And sometimes more a more informed client, usually just a differently informed client. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, big time. Yeah. I was I was speaking with someone yesterday. He's got a policy, he just entered year six. Large policy. He heavily funded it in the early years. It was, I think, three hundred thousand dollars and change per year. So he was stuffing the policy, and he's in year six, and he's asking, "What is the policy growing by? Total growth?" Because when he receives his annual statement, the company says, "Here's the dividend you received." The dividend does not reflect the total total growth. Like that dividend on an annual statement excludes any guaranteed growth that you received. So his comment was, why can't the insurance company just say, here's how much you received? Like, I don't care about the dividend. I just want the net number. Yeah, cash value grew from A to B, right? Minus my payments. That's what I want to want to see. I, I agree, by the way. And yeah, no, I 100% do. And part of the answer, it could be the fact that with the insurance industry, they don't want the product viewed or positioned as an investment. So therefore, here's the insurance product. Dividends are considered a return of premium when we look at the insurance language. So you've got all these confusing aspects that are that are built in there, but it still doesn't solve the problem as far as what's my actual growth. So my response was, we get that a lot. It's actually one of my favorite things to put together specifically is this. What we can do is take your I mean, policy. It's pretty easy to figure out. Yeah. It is. So what we do is just take his actual payments each year. We pull his actual cash value from the annual statement. We put it typically on an Excel sheet. We can make it a PDF if that's easier for the client. But then this way, he can see each year, what did I pay in? What did my cash value grow to? And then what was the net number I received? I can include the dividend column if I want. Most people say, get rid of that. I just want the net number. But that allows him to have a report. We'll send that with the full illustration. So on the compliance piece, everything, we're doing the best we can. But then this way, the, his question is answered. What did I actually grow by that that year? Because that's what he wanted to know. 
And then we'll show the total gain too, because as the policy passes, or as the policy years pass, that gain is going to, to increase. Do you have a lot of folks um, really kind of pouring over the initial issue illustration and then going back and looking to see where there's shortfalls? Because I mean, we're in yeah. a we're in an environment over the last, you know, seven or eight years where all the mutuals kind of gradually their dividends have, have been driven down. So yeah. you have a lot of those kind of conversations. Yeah, that's a good question. Not a whole lot. It, it does come up. And that, I think, is one of the most important things to bring attention to because it's where a lot of agents struggle when a client does say, here's my original illustration from five or 10 years ago. Say I've paid everything in exactly as illustrated, like I didn't adjust my payments. Why is it different? Right. That, that can be a difficult conversation, especially if it's drastically underperformed. Yeah, I so, mean, that's an easy, it's an easy answer, though. Yeah, it, it is. And really, in my opinion, the best way to answer it is by keeping up every year, providing that historical illustration so they can see each year, here's the difference, Did the dividend rate adjust, here's the difference in your actual cash value and IRR, and really keep your finger on the pulse of the client's product, the insurance company, and the industry as a whole. You're keeping everything up to speed, and that prevents any kind of issue from occurring down the road because it, it can be an issue. Like I've seen people lose business over that. Because people are like, why isn't it performing? Like 13 years later, they forget everything that happened in that hour-long meeting initially. Well, if you want to talk about game, I think that in those kind of situations, the game is, uh, and when I say game, I'm not, I don't mean, I feel like sometimes, it, you know, if you're playing a game on somebody, it sounds like a manipulation, but yeah. I want to try to present the facts and present the details in a real way and help the clients see some of the power involved yeah. here. And I think in this kind of situation, the game is to, you know, consistently remind the client that this isn't an investment product. Yeah. Because if it's an investment product, your measuring stick is IRR. Mm -hmm. And that's not what your measuring stick should be here. Because uh, one, obviously one of the most powerful, powerful things here is non-direct recognition, how you access the cash, how cash value is treated when it's accessed, the, the you know, immeasurable uh, benefit of, of the death benefit, and all those things don't get factored in. So I, you know, I was having a conversation yesterday with somebody where I constantly had to keep bringing them back to this is still tax deferred or tax advantaged growth on an asset. It's a conservative asset that's going to outpace any other conservative asset out there. And when you access this money, it's going to behave unlike any other asset that you have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that. And back to the game piece, like how I view it as a game is, again, not in a manipulative manner because I hate when people do that to me, is really effectively communicating a complex topic to someone where they get it and move forward, or you can check that box off because it, it can be challenging. You can go back to the, the topic of what did my cash value grow by this year? That can be an extremely difficult, difficult conversation, especially in the early years where the dividend you received is higher than what the policy actually grew by just with how the policy is calculated. So like the game is really for the, the advisor or the agent understanding the product 
and then being able to navigate through the waters, say the right things, use the proper visuals, even if it's something that perhaps your managers or mentors say, don't show that because it highlights a negative piece of the policy. It's like, okay, if you're that consumer, do you want the negative piece, what's in your mind negative, hidden from you? No, just be upfront with it. And then yeah. people will do it or not do it. That's all. So it's really knowing how to, how to communicate, or I should say learning how to communicate. That's a big, big part of the game because it's, it's a lot of complex material. Right. Yeah. I had another uh, uh, same mentor who you know. We've talked about this before, too, yeah. when I was first started working. He showed me an illustration. And I think I was having a discussion with a with a broker about how low the upfront cash values were in yeah. the whole life policy that we were presenting and how to help get his client over the fact that, you know, the first couple of years are really you know, you're, you're, you're not building up a lot of cash. Yeah. And his thing was always that he tried to flip that into the first couple of years is when you pay for the death benefit. And I said, what do you mean? And he took the first two years on the illustration and drew a red line underneath it. And he said, the premiums you paid in the first two years paid for your death benefit permanently. Everything after that, is all growth. So if I pay $5,000 a year, year one, I might have a couple hundred bucks in cash value. Year two, I've got, I don't know, $3,000 in cash value. Year three, let's say I had $6,000 in cash value. We'll take the first 5,000 and 5,000 out. I paid 10 grand for all that death benefit. The next year I paid five grand, I've got six grand in cash value. So it's immediately, and I remember when he, I was like, yeah, but you're, you know, yes. he was like, well, no, it doesn't matter. You know, he's like, I'm not trying to fool you. He said, but you understand that there's a cost to everything. So mentally tell yourself, here's the cost. And then going forward, I've got this unbelievable appreciating asset. And I, I don't know how it worked out for the broker or the client, but for me, I was like, all right, that works for me. You know, yeah. it's not a trick. I mean, yeah. it is kind of a little mental trick for yourself, but it was a, if I was a consumer in that scenario, it would have been a, a trick mentally for me to help get me across the finish line and make a, make a real good move. Yeah, I get it. It's a simple illustration there that's effective for some and then yeah. some it's not. But it's really like on that point, if it's a very simple way to attack the situation or address the situation, or if you're working with someone, a CFO mindset or analytical type, you right. need to break down the numbers and lay out the spreadsheets, pull out the works, like communicate in the manner that the individual wants to communicate. If you do that, you'll do well. Don't try and force something because this is how I do it. So it's going to work for everyone. Like, no, everybody's a bit different. You'll have some strategies that are effective with most people. But when that doesn't work, don't try and run the ball when you're going up against the 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 Ravens 2000 defense, like Baltimore Ravens. It's not going to work. They're going to stop it. You're going you're gonna to have to find a different way. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what have your conversations been like with, uh, I mean, any kind of doom and gloom when you're looking at all the dividends? And, you know, you really just see this downward trend. I know that everything's cyclical, but how do, yeah. how do you talk to clients about that? Yeah. Um, so how dividends have gone down over time? Yeah. Yeah. So typically not, not much conversation there. I mean, the past three years, they've kind of leveled out and it looks like they're going to start to come up a little bit. 
Uh, I mean, Guardians came up 10 basis points. Often how I'll, I'll illustrate is looking at history and really say, when we look at everything, there's a pattern here. If we go back to the 1980s or before that, dividends were very low. In fact, they were lower than where they're at right now. Then the 80s hit and dividends skyrocketed. However, at that time, many individuals said, hey, the dividend rate's 10, 12%. That's not high enough because I can get a CD or money market at a much, much higher interest rate, right? So the mindset was rates are higher elsewhere, so let me go there. But then as time passed, they looked back and said, man, if I could have just taken out a whole life insurance policy that was consistent and looked at the actual growth as time passed, that would have been a good option. Even as, as the years have passed from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, now dividend rates have come down. But now what we're expecting is for things to come back up a little bit, at least it appears that way. Um, it will be interesting because there's some contradictory information to that from what I've heard from, uh, from insurance carriers. But, you know, I just say- so the financial markets in general yeah. have been so contradictory over yeah. the last few years. Yeah, and you just don't, it doesn't yeah. seem like there's any real good- Mm -hmm. predictors out there. Correct. Correct. So typically it's not an issue there. I mean, I'll just explain it. I'll go back to setting expectations that three to 5% range is really what I would expect based on what these carriers have actually done over time. And that's based on really where the dividends are now. And even if they come down a little bit for a long period of time. So if you set expectations properly upfront, it alleviates any type of difficult conversation like that afterwards have you found a lot of folks with um you know speaking of you know we are in this kind of turbulent financial yeah. and economic environment over the last few years have you had a lot of clients with issues making premium payments finding themselves strapped with policy loans or try do you have a lot of conversations with enforced clients that feel like workout scenarios? Yeah, that's a good question. Not a whole lot, but it does happen. There was a case recently where an individual started a policy, owned his own business, had the plan of funding it at 100 grand per year for 10 years. Or I was actually at 12 to 13 years. He wanted to get over a million bucks into the policy. First year, paid in 100 grand. COVID affected his business, told me he had to shut it down. Lost his job. He had a lot of money invested in crypto that got wiped out. So from being here financially, yeah, hundred grand per year, no problem. Down to here, all of a sudden, like I don't know what I do. Well, what I should one do? Year. Um, a little bit more than a year, it was like close to a year and a half. Because year two, he paid his premium. It was just uh, the base was ten k. He paid like twelve grand. Planned to possibly pay more, but he couldn't do it because things kept getting worse. So year three now. Now we can make a decision. As we had a review call, he led it with, I'm thinking about cashing it out. Like I'm in a tough spot. I got a new job. So things are getting a little bit better there, but I can't fund it at the 100K per year right now. What do I do? So that was a situation where looking at what he, his original plan was to now, like we've got to make some adjustments. So what we looked at was, all right, if we go with a premium offset right now, what does your cash value grow by over the course of year three? Most importantly, do you go backwards, right? Because I don't want to put him in a position where he loses money by not paying that premium. And the answer was he slightly increases and he maintains his death benefit of it was about 3.2, something like that. But then looking at it further, I'm like, all right, we built this policy 
to accept 100K per year payments for greater than 10 years. The MEC limit was, was around 130 or 140, something like that. We had to overinflate it. So looking at that, what I could do was say, all right, he's got a base premium of 10K, death benefit of 3.2. I could actually drop the death benefit right now in policy year three to about 2.2, which pulls his base premium down to, I could get that around 5K and change, like 5,600 without running into a mech. So what that allows for now, if you can't pay anything, is the base premium is about 5,600. The policy only has to cover that internally. Cash value grows by a little bit more with zero out of pocket. And basically, yeah, basically what he wants to see or what we looked at during our call was, can I pay nothing and still see my value maintain or go up a little bit while I figure things out over the next couple of years? Because I'd love to be able to resume payments. If it's 100K, that'd be great. Or just 50K, that's fine. But what I don't want to do is kick the can down the road thinking, yeah, I should be able to do it, but then I can't do it and I lose value each year as a result. Like that's what he doesn't want. How much time was, was what kind of buffer did he have? Yeah, so we can actually do it indefinitely if he doesn't care about the death benefit because he he stuffed it with 100K in the first year. So he put himself in a good position there with all yeah. those additional paid ups. Um, so we can run an offset through year seven. An offset is where the premium is being paid by the dividends and his net cash value still increases. But then at year eight, if the conversation is, hey, I can never pay another penny into it, what we would do is drop the term rider altogether. We could look at a reduced paid up, which eliminates the base premium. That would take a significant, he would take a significant hit in the death benefit, but the cash value would grow at a faster pace. So he's in year three, that's year eight, that's five years down the road. So what we do is measure it each year, have a conversation, show him, here's what it looks like if you resume payments five years down the road, just different options to make him- That's a good solution for a kind of doomsday scenario. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually something I'm glad you asked about those types of scenarios. Like I spent, it was probably about two hours putting training material together after that, because that's the kind of stuff like years ago, I didn't know how to do, or an agent would look at it and say, hey, there's nothing you can do here. Like that's the traditional response, just cash it out. We're going to lose money, take an APL, or automatic premium. Remember what the cash value looked like after that hundred and then $12,000 payment? Um, Yeah. Yes, offhand, he's right around a hundred grand right now. Okay, yeah. You know, it's interesting because uh, you know, gut reaction. I think for most agents would be like, that's not a bad. You know, if it almost feels like you should be penalized for poor planning if a year and a half into this thing that you were so gung-ho about, you're yeah. bailing them, you know? And to get a hundred grand out when you paid in 112 it feels like a win. Yeah. So I can see a lot of people very quickly being like, well, there's nothing you can do, cash it in, and you're lucky to be getting a hundred grand. Yeah. And he, then that guy's feeling like he, he got burned. Yeah, which that's the thing. Like, if it's me, I don't want to feel like I got burned there. And his total input might be 120. I've got to look at the numbers, like yeah, with everything. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, he's because it was a minimum premium stuffed with PUAs, that's that's why he's in a position where it can actually survive. But as the agent, 
you got to know the rules of the game now with the, the different insurance carriers and what levers you can pull and such to sure. be able to make those kind of changes. And then the, the challenging part, for me at least, and what I've learned is, okay, get all of these technical ter- terms and moves you're making with the policy. How do you communicate that to the client where they get it and they move forward and they say, okay, I, I understand it. And you don't have an issue where something pops up down the road and they said, that's not what we discussed. I didn't understand that because it can be confusing. So it is confusing, but um, it, when, when you don't, when you operate very clearly and it's not a smoke and mirrors kind of situation. So important. So, so important to do that. Um, and, you know, the little things there are the most important. Like during a meeting where I'm going through, through something that I know is complex and I know agents will sometimes struggle with it. I'll make it a point every two to three minutes if possible, pause and ask, does that part make sense? Any questions on that? Like as I cover each point, because if it doesn't, I'm going to take my time and go back over it again, maybe in a different way. If you just rush over that, let alone simple things, that can be confusing enough with life insurance, but but the complex material, like you can get in trouble later, not to your fault, but it'll just happen. So that's just knowing how to navigate through that situation properly, because if you don't, it can really be an issue later. There's nothing more satisfying. I think you would agree with this than than a really kind of complex meeting with a client about something like this, where you know at the end that they understood everything, everything was crystal clear. I had a, a meeting recently with what I thought was a pretty sophisticated client. We went through in depth a lot of different things and yep, Yep, I get it. I get it. I get it. I left the meeting. I was like, that, that something was off there. Yeah, he, and he didn't get it. Yeah, and that causes so much stress. It's not worth. It's not worth the sale. Like whatever that commission amount is, it's not because you're gonna have to go back resell it. They're gonna get frustrated. You're gonna get really uncomfortable. You're gonna lose sleep over it. Like it's not worth it. Take your time and do it right in the beginning. Right. It's like getting served a raw steak. Where like, hey, I sold it. It's great. But then you, the uh, yeah. the consumer accepted comes back. it. Yeah, food poisoning, and now you've got a bad review against your restaurant. Who cares that you made the sale, even though it was your premium steak? Like, no, 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 do it right. <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah. Well, if anybody out there wants to talk a little bit more about this or anything else that Steve or I have discussed over the years doing this podcast, feel free to reach out to myself, Mike Courtney, or Steve Parisi with IBC. We're always here for you and. Uh, we like to play games, but we like to play the kind of games that help you make really good, informed, solid decisions. Yeah. Uh, that's the moral of the story. Thanks a lot, Steve. Sure thing. Thank you for your time as always. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. All right. Bye.